You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. little parable. Day after day, the miller was worried. I think you'd say he was filled with worry because he lived in a windmill and his job was to take the grain and grind it into flour and then take it across town to the baker for the town's bread. But he was dependent upon the wind and he frequently worried that there wouldn't be enough wind in order to transform all the grain into the flour. And one day the wind was in fact light and by late in the afternoon it was a little flummoxed and then he got an idea. Hey, I know what I'll do. And he disconnected the gears so that the blades of the windmill were not connected to the drivetrain of the mill. And then he took off his shirt and he grabbed a piece of wood and stuck it in there and he started to walk around and he turned that axle himself under his own power. And he turned and he turned and he pushed and he flexed and he hauled and his feet were getting blistered. Did it through the night. When morning came, there were great powder puffs and piles of flour all over the place. But none of that flour made it to the market. Why? Because the miller had fallen asleep. He lay spent, exhausted on the floor, just out of gas. And so he didn't see the dawn when it came, and nor did he hear the sound. What was the sound? It was the sound of the wind now coming, a mighty rushing wind uh, through the blades of the windmill. It's a parable. When you and I say, I believe in the Holy Ghost, what we're saying, if we think about it, is I believe that there is a power that drives life. I I believe in, in the great wind of God, the ruach or the pneuma, to use the biblical words, which mean wind or breath or spirit. There's a heavenly wind that blows through life, animating it all. There's a power. And if you and I find ourselves filled like the miller with worry or grinding like the miller, the anxious bread of toil or face down on the floorboards in absolute exhaustion. I wonder, I wonder if it isn't just possible that somehow we have disconnected the gears, disconnected ourselves from the source of our power. Well, the book of Titus is a letter that Paul wrote. It's one of the short ones. And it's really a letter about transformation and the power of God at work in the life of a believer. I want to invite you to look at it uh, with me today. So would you open up to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It's the end of the book. It's page 969. If you you didn't bring your own Bible, you find that page number in the black book in front of you there. It's Titus chapter 3, verses 4. I actually would like to read with you down to the first half, the first sentence of verse 8. Verse 4 to verse 8a. Um... But what I, what I think you're going to see here is that the Apostle Paul writes to Titus about a power that involves a connection to all three persons of the Trinity. And Titus, one must say, I believe in God, yes. But Titus, one must also say, I believe in Jesus. But Titus, you must say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
If you're able, let's stand together and read God's word aloud together as part of our worship. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. We don't know a lot about Titus. Cool name. But he was an apprentice. That's the language we're using. I think it's a more modern way of simply saying he was a disciple. Our theme for the year is to make disciples of all nations. So we're talking about what does it mean to be an apprentice? Well, Titus was one. Titus was an apprentice. And um, what we do know about him is that there was a tremendous change in his life. Just a tremendous change in Titus's life. Why? Why do I say that? Well, he, he was not a Jew. He was a Greek, Titus. Um, we think that probably he came to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. At the beginning of this letter, Paul calls him, my loyal child in the faith we share. But initially, he was very troubling to the religious establishment in his day. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were scandalized by Titus when the Apostle Paul brought Titus into town. The Jewish authorities thought Titus should be circumcised. And Paul said, don't you dare. Don't you dare circumcise Titus. Because, you know, transformation, real transformation is not a superficial thing. It's not a matter of the skin. It doesn't happen from the outside. It's a deep, soulish thing. It happens deep down inside. It's about the regearing of your life. And Titus understands that. He understands that there's a power in his life that doesn't come from his own obedience or adherence to certain practices or principles. He's got a heavenly wind churning inside of him, transforming him, making him new. A lot of change in Titus's life, but at this moment, as Paul writes this letter to him, Titus has been given a tough assignment. Just prior to this letter, at some point, Paul and Titus had been traveling together across the uh, largest of the Greek islands, Crete. Some of you have, have been there. Uh, beautiful, mountainous, rugged uh, area. And it's a challenging assignment, not just because Crete is so huge. It's a challenging assignment because um, of the Cretans. In this letter, there's a statement uh, about the Cretans. And it's actually the Cretans' own statement about themselves. If you look at verse 12 of chapter 1, you'll see it there. Paul cites, he says, you're, you know, the, the people that you serve there, uh, this is what they say about themselves. This is their statement. Cretans are always liars, vicious brutes, lazy gluttons. Someone's like, I'd like to meet somebody like that. That sounds a lot like me, actually. Um, Cretans are always liars, vicious brutes, lazy gluttons. So, wow, you know, Paul has left Titus behind to form some of these new believers 
into little communities, little missional outposts of God's kingdom, like our 326 small groups, like your small groups. Just organize them together, Titus, and then when you're done, follow me and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll meet back up. But these people, how, how could there be change if that's what they say about themselves, if that's their statement? Well, the interesting thing is the passage of scripture you just read is also a statement that is now running around Crete. Did you notice at verse 8? I mean, open your Bibles back up there. You'll see verse 8. It says, the the saying is sure. That's another statement that's there that's running around. See the contrast. And scholars tell us that those verses uh, 4 through 7 that you read are most likely an early creed. Much like our own Apostles' Creed. Do you you notice any similarities? Now, we've been reflecting on the Apostles' Creed for several weeks. And one thing I hope you notice is that there are baptismal overtones. And I told you that the Apostles' Creed grows out of the baptismal commission that Jesus gives, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and the Apostles' Creed was used to form apprentices for baptism and and a life of following Jesus. And and, uh, so we see that here, baptismal overtones. But we also see a Trinitarian structure. Do you notice that? We hear about God who initiates salvation. Uh, and his motive is goodness and loving kindness. By the way, the lo- word loving kindness there is the word we get phil- uh, philanthropy from. Philanthropia. That, that God is a philanthropist. The kindness and, and, and love of God. That's the Father. And then he moves on to verse uh, 6 and 7. He talks about Jesus Christ now. The Father initiates salvation. Jesus Christ uh, effectuates salvation. We see he does that through grace And the word that Paul uses here is that rich word, justification. He justified us, which means he put sinners in right standing before God. Jesus does it. Uh, We don't even have to change for that to happen. He just does it so that God sees Christ's righteousness in us, not our unrighteousness. So we're justified by Jesus. But then, then, and the focus of this creed seems to be on the Holy Spirit. Right at the center of the text. Do you see that? He poured out, God, verse 6, poured out uh, the Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ. So remember what an apprentice is. This is essential. The Holy Spirit is essential. An apprentice is somebody who, uh, who encounters experience in the context of a relationship with a master. And because they encounter experience in the context of a relationship with a master, they learn And because they learn, they gain over time, gradually, the character and the capacity of the master. The Apostle Paul wants Titus to remind the Cretans that even though what they say about themselves, Cretans are always lazy, there is a hope for them. There is a a transforming power in their midst. He has poured out his Holy Spirit on us richly. This is the power of apprenticeship. You and I can live our lives like the miller grinding out the grain until we're exhausted, collapsing in our bed at the end of the day, hardly willing to get up again because we know the futility of the task. And as long as we are inclined to depend on our own nature and our own human effort, well, then it's no uh, surprise that we cannot seem to overcome our constant anxiety. We cannot seem to stop burning through relationships one after another. We never know how to kick our addictions, whether it's to pornography or drugs. We have no idea how it is that we could pull ourselves out of our self-pity or despair or whatever it is. We just can't do it by ourselves. 
And if you're wondering whether you're pushing through life under your own strength, here are a few indications. How about fear? If you look at the future and you start to feel afraid or feel chronically afraid, of course, because you look at yourself and you know you're not up to the task. You don't have what it'll take. Right? How about exhaustion? Are you feeling tired this morning? Is it all that you could do to get yourself to church just exhausted? Man, we're so tired today in our culture. Uh, of course, because you've been trying to do it all by yourself. Uh, or and then, how about apathy? I think this is a very rational response. You look at the challenge of life and you go, oh my gosh, you know, because I can't do it. I know I can't do it. Then I'm not even going to try. So you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, well, whatever happens. I mean, there's that moment when you're tempted to do something you know you shouldn't do and you just give in to it because, you know, I've, you know, what else can I do? I always seem to make the wrong choice. And so here I, here I go again. It's this apathy. Those are all indications that I'm grinding out the grain uh, myself, that I haven't paid any attention to this great wind that's blowing through the blades of my life. What I want to suggest you to do, and this is a very simple sermon, a very simple uh, invitation today, it's open yourself. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's all I'm trying to convince you to do. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit. Now you say, George, I, I don't, that's great for the person that's sitting next to me, but you don't know how much capacity I have. I have, I have a lot of education, George. And I can really do quite a lot in life. Or you say, I've been really well positioned. I have a great network of friends. Or you say, you know what? I've got a lot of money, George. Uh, I've got a lot of cash. And you'd be surprised how much cash can buy you in life. Or, you know, or I've got a lot of health or really resourceful or whatever. I know, I know, I know. You have a lot of capacity. I never cease to be amazed at the giftedness of this congregation. But you know what? You need more than your natural capacity. I mean, just think about, just think about Philae. Have you been following the story about the space probe? This is unbelievable to me. I love this story. That human beings have the capacity to basically throw a little rock at a comet and hit it. It's unbelievable. Philae has traveled four billion miles at a speed of 41,000 miles an hour. That's even faster than I drive. Uh, over a 10 year period, to reach a comet that is right now 300 million miles away from us. An incredible capacity. But you know what the limitation is? You know what's happening right now? Last I heard, they couldn't communicate with it. Why? Because it carries with it 60 hours of energy. After that, it's, it has to open its panels to the sun. Because it's designed to take solar energy and convert it into its work. And I want to tell you, you and I, if you're a human being here this morning or listening online, are designed by your creator to open your life and be powered by the wind of God, the Holy Spirit. That's the way you're made. If you choose not to do that, you might get 60 hours, 60 years, but eventually you're going to collapse. You're going to sit there like a space probe in the shadow of a cliff, just lifeless. So the Apostle Paul says, Titus, remind them. Remind them of the change, how the Holy Spirit has renewed your life through Jesus Christ and invite them to do the same. Open to the Holy Spirit. Well, let's just reflect on this one verse six a little bit here. Three questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Because when you say it, particularly in the old creed, you know, I believe in the Holy Ghost, it sounds a little paranormal. And it's a little creepy. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, even my parents, as I told them what I was preaching about yesterday, they're like, ooh, Casper, you know. I'm working on my parents, but, you know, it's like Ghostbusters or something. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit. Well, listen, the Holy Spirit 
is the personal, powerful presence of Jesus Christ in your life. That's who he is. He's your connection to Jesus. Physically, Jesus is exalted on the right hand of the Father right now. But he's present to you through his Holy Spirit. A lot of us think the Holy Spirit's trying to control us, trying to force us, trying to get us somewhere we're resisting. You know what? He's trying to resource you. He's trying to get you caught up into the love between the Son and the Father. That's what the Holy Spirit's mission is in your life. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to make you fully alive, to make you the creature that God made you to be. That's what he's doing in your life. You don't have to pay attention to him. But man, think about what he's doing. Let me give you an illustration. I, I, I hesitate to tell you this story because it's a preacher story, but that's just my work. Um, you, I want you to think about your work or think about what's hardest for you in a week because what's hardest for me in a week is to write a sermon. I really struggle with it. I get this writer's block. I've told you before. Well, just recently, I, it, was, I was late in the week. And I was trying to write a sermon. It wasn't coming. I was stuck. I was behind, and I was running out of time. And so this is a problem. This is my struggle. So I got on a bicycle, and I, and I rode out. I oftentimes meet Jesus on the Burke Gilman Trail. I don't know if you've seen him out there, but he finds me. So I'm out there on the Burke Gilman Trail, and I'm talking to God, and I'm going, it's getting to desperation point here. I need something. And I get an idea. I get a sermon idea. And I think, oh, that's great. And then I realize, oh, no, that's an idea for next week's sermon, not this week's sermon. So the nice conversation turns into a little bit of an argument. So I say, Jesus, no, not, not for next week. We'll do that next week. I need this week's sermon. And so I'm riding along, and I get another idea. But again, it's for next week's sermon. And so I'm going, no, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. And he's going, George, you're not open to me. You see, but what happened was, for that next 40 minutes, I got, and I don't think I can ever remember this happening, idea after idea after idea for that next week's sermon, I came home, and even though I was running out of time, I opened up my laptop, and I wrote a whole page of bullets that essentially became the sermon that I would preach the following week, and it never happens. And I just wonder if God isn't saying, George, I know you think this is so hard, but you know what? It's because there's so much of you in the way. And if you would just open yourself up to me, we could do this together. See, what would that be for you? A little secret. Every time I walk up these stairs, you know what I say to myself? I say, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I've done that every Sunday I've preached here since I came. And, the, and, the, and I got that from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, this great Baptist uh, uh, preacher in London the, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. That's what he said he would do. Every time he goes to the pulpit. Now, the, the reason his preaching is so much better than mine is that he had a tall spiral pulpit staircase that went all the way up. I just have about four steps here. So if you want better preaching, you've got to build something more impressive. Do you know what Christ means? It's not Jesus' last name. You know that? <laughs> and H isn't his middle initial either. <laughs> Christ means anointed. Do you know what anointed means? It means someone just poured something on your head. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus, you know, which is a common name, Joshua. He's the, oh, I'm talking about the anointed one. I'm talking about the one on whom something was poured. And you know what was poured on Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit. Listen to this, Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
The Holy Spirit is the secret of Jesus' life and ministry. There is no Jesus, as you and I think about him or have known him through the pages of, of, of uh, Scripture, without the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> just do a little study. I'm just going to whip through this. But look at this. I, I realized this myself recently. I thought, oh, Jesus, well, he's the Son of God. He wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Absolutely wrong. The Holy Spirit conceives Jesus in Mary's womb, gives him birth, Luke 1.35. The Holy Spirit convinces Jesus of the Father's love for him at his baptism, Luke 3.22. The Holy Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness of his life, Mark 1.12. The Holy Spirit sustains him when he faces temptation, Matthew 4.1. The Holy Spirit leads him to his ministry venue, Luke 4.14. The Holy Spirit empowers him for that ministry. Remember, in the Nazareth synagogue, he opens up the Bible and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let's get this thing rolling. That's his introduction. The Holy Spirit enables him to release others from the powers of darkness. Matthew 12, 28. The Holy Spirit brings him joy. Luke 10, 21. The Holy Spirit gives him strength to endure suffering. 1 Peter 4, 13 to 14. The Holy Spirit brings him back from the dead. Romans 8, 11. And finally, even after his resurrection, before he ascends, the Holy Spirit gives him the words to speak to his disciples. Acts 1, 12. 2. Acts 1, 2. JJ read that to us last week. Wow. Not just preachers, not just the Savior Jesus. All of us need the Holy Spirit, and God has poured out on Pentecost. Peter, when he gives this great sermon, says, uh, let me tell you what's going on here. Therefore, Jesus, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you both see in here. Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit. You are anointed. You are anointed in the same way Jesus is anointed for life and for ministry. So if you're going to be an apprentice, don't just focus on the model of Jesus. Make sure you focus on his power source. Open yourself up. That's who the Spirit is. Another question, how do we respond to something that's poured out? Can you be practical with me for a minute, George? Because that's like ethereal language. I want to be practical with you. How do you respond to something that's poured out? Let's just think about what that image suggests, that metaphor. What would you do if you wanted something that's poured out? You've got you to gotta capture it, right? You've got you to bring something, like a, a glass or a pot or a bucket. You bring some, some container uh, and, and let it be filled. And so if God's action is he's pouring out his Holy Spirit, our response to that is to bring ourselves as though we were a container, as much of ourselves as we're willing to catch, capture him. John Calvin refers to faith as a vessel. And I really like that. Faith is a, 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 an empty vessel. Because God is the one who fills and God is the one who does all the work. He's the initiator. He's the agent of our salvation. But we do have a response. We have to bring something for him to fill. And we bring our faith as a vessel. And I think that's what Paul is suggesting to us here. Open yourself. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit. Calvin says this, We come empty with the mouth of our soul open to seek God's grace. I love that. And that's what you need to do when you realize one day that the Holy Spirit really is being poured out on you. You need to open yourself, your empty self, and receive his fullness. First, you need to open to Jesus. If you've never come to know Jesus, Jesus has died to get to know you. And you need to pray and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Take my sin, put it on your cross, and give me everlasting life. I want to open my life to you. 
Having known Jesus, the next thing you need to do is to bring your openness into every one of your experiences in life, like a good apprentice, in every experience. I'm talking about work. I'm talking about the neighborhood. I'm talking about sports, recreation, gym, whatever you do. Bring your openness to the Holy Spirit right there. That's what Paul wants Titus to remind the Cretans of. Notice the major imperative in this passage is all the way up in verse 1. Remind them of this. And then he lists these virtues and these vices. And I don't want to get tangled up in all those. But what I want you to see is in every one of those, there's a story implicit. Behind, for example, uh, submitting or being subject to rulers and authorities is a scenario where it's hard to do that, right? Or you wouldn't have to remind someone to do that. So we're asked to picture somebody who's got a government that's ineffective, and you're supposed to subject yourself to that government, uh, or some parents who have authority, and they're controlling parents, but in some way you're supposed to subject yourself to that. Or um, he goes on and says, be obedient. And we're imagining some situation now where obedience is hard because it doesn't make sense to us. And we read the Bible and we think, it tells me to do X, but I really want to do Y. But he says, in in all of those kinds of situations and many that would follow, we're asked to bring an empty vessel and say, I don't know what to do here and I don't think I could do it by myself, but Lord, would you fill me? Would you fill me with the one that you have poured out on Jesus, poured out on myself? So that when I'm with my in-laws or at the end of my work shift or when I'm getting out of bed or with my boss or a colicky infant, I'm opening myself up to the Spirit. Three very practical ways to do that, uh, uh, to bring your vessel. Pause, pray, and presume. You're going to have to pause. There's a moment between action and reaction, and you're going to have to capture it and, and, and intercept your natural Reflex, Because all of us have ingrained patterns of response. And and those ingrained patterns resist God's goodness and resist grace and resist the kingdom. So you'll have to pause. You can't let your natural response to that situation overtake you. Pause. The second thing is pray. You say simply to yourself or out loud if you choose, God, fill me. Would you fill me? Would you empower me? Would you give me the power that you gave Jesus And would you give it to me in my situation right here so that I can do what Jesus would do if he were me in front of my boss or riding this bus or trying to write a check? And then presume. Pause, pray, and then presume. I call this a faithful presumption. You'll have to presume that God intends to keep his promise to fill you and empower you in that situation. Remember. The Bible says anytime you pray according to God's will, he's going to give you the answer. And you know you're praying according to God's will when you pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it's a commandment. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. So if you say, God, fill me with your Spirit, he's going to answer that prayer every single time, whether you feel it or not, you're already full of the Spirit. Now go act on it. Act presumptuously that God will keep his word. And then finally, what will we gain? Well, it's richness. He pours out his spirit richly, which means in full measure, which means that it more than meets my need. The miller doesn't have what he needs for the task, but the wind does. Let me close by giving you a story of two Trishas. I think I have a photograph here to show you on the screen. Um, If you look at this, see if I can do that. That Trish is a nurse. That Trish is a cancer patient. She's just received a terminal diagnosis. This is her son, Wesley. Wesley is eight years old this fall. Trisha, his mom, not going to see his ninth birthday. 
But this is a family. You can leave that up there. This is a family. It's actually two families. This is Trisha's husband, and then she has uh, four kids. There they are. Now, let me ask you a question. Some of you are nurses. I can't imagine a more challenging job, personally. It's got to be exhausting, up against such struggle and pain on a daily basis. I don't know how you even go to work. Um, they asked Trisha, an oncology nurse, how do you do it? She says, I love my job. I love it. And there's this convincing beam of joy in her face. And then, uh, how could you be a cancer um, patient? Some of you know that because you are right now. I mean, can you imagine the despair? But I think both of these women have opened themselves up to the Holy Spirit, and something wonderful happened, and it's reflected in this picture. Let me just tell you how they got there. When Trisha, the patient, showed up in the hospital in Pennsylvania, Trisha, the nurse, walked in the room. And when Trisha, the nurse, walked in the room, Trisha, the patient, said, it was like an angel had come into the room. That's her only way of describing it. She said, before the nurse ever said anything, I just felt comfort. It was almost like someone just put a warm blanket on me. I've never felt anything like that before with anybody else. When the nurse had to deal with the fact that the patient had a terminal diagnosis, the nurse said, I don't, I, what do you say to somebody like that? She's 45 years old, single mom. So I just gave her a hug. Here's what the patient said the next time the nurse walked in. They hardly knew each other. But she said, well, I'm really glad you stopped in because I didn't think that I would get to see you again and I have something that I need to ask you. Okay. The patient said, can you take my son? Will you raise him if I die? Oh. How would you respond to that? Well, the nurse needed to pause and she needed to pray, which she did. She would later say, it's important for us to do what God wants us to do. We would later find out that the patient also was praying very fervently for some provision for her son. So the two came together. They were both open to God. And Trisha said, yes. And she took not only Wesley, the patient's son, into her, her home, but immediately took the patient as well. It just added them to their family. Now they're living together, the final days of this, this mom, as one big family. One of the girls, uh, the, uh, the nurse says, well, we love her. She's like another mom. And I think Wesley loves us as much as we love him. What a beautiful picture. Uh, a reporter asks the nurse, why are you doing this? And she says, well, they just needed to be the other. See the humility. But this is, isn't this even more than Tricia asked for? Uh, the reporter asks. It is. The nurse replies, but isn't that what we're supposed to do? More than we're asked. Are you saying this as a nurse or as a person? Both. Both, she says with a, a beautiful smile. And I think she's saying it as an apprentice. And so my final challenge to you, you're going to walk somewhere this week. You're going to walk into an office. You're going to walk into a kitchen. You're going to walk into a classroom. You're going to walk into a nursing home. You're going to walk into a hospital. What would it be like for you with every step as you go in there, starting tonight or tomorrow morning, to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's find out. Would you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit. That you're not far from us, but that you're near to us. We live and move and have our being in you. Would you renew us? Would you touch us individually in the deepest places of hurt and brokenness and bring healing? Would you grab us corporately as your people 
and, and bring revival. Pour forth your spirit and help us to be open to all that you want to give us. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.